0: Today's message originated in the pulpit of Covenant Community Church by lead pastor, Alan Ellis. Covenant Community Church lives to glorify Christ by making disciples who are growing in relationship with God in worship, then with the church in fellowship, and with the world in witness. Now, here's today's message.
1: So when we got into uh, 1 Samuel 11 and 12... Any commentary on First and Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter eleven begins a new section. And if you uh, if you were here last week to hear the reading of Second Samuel chapter eleven, you know that these chapters are very moving. Uh, the narrator, whoever he may be, um, is at his finest in both of these chapters. And we we're entitling this section because we're going to be in chapters 11 and 12 for a few weeks, I think, um, The the Tempest Unawares. And as I told you last week, uh, Christy um, took me to Garrison Keillor's Prairie Home Companion a week ago Saturday, and there was a singer there, and he sang... Uh, The the lyrics of a song that he sang, I think the song was entitled Reminiscing, or Reminiscent, either one. Um, And the lyrics that he he sung were all, the the verse was, All these things may hurt you, yet they cannot compare with the tempest in the human heart which cometh unawares. The tempest meaning... uh, a, the storm, the storm that comes into a human heart unannounced. We're not prepared for it. We're, we're unaware. Carrie and Andrew, when they were on, the, and the kids when they were on vacation in Florida, so they, the, the place where they were staying at provided a boat, so they decided to go out in a boat. Well, if you know anything about, Florida weather is like when you leave in the boat, it may look great and you get out in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden, especially on the Gulf side, a thunderstorm pops up. And so <laughs> I think Kerry sent back a picture of Andon. No, Kerry was under a towel and Andon was, he looked like he was praying to the God of the sea, uh, had his head bowed down. And so these, and, and the the captain who kind of checked Andrew out on the operation of the boat said, well, if you get out and there's a storm, he says, you just steer the boat to wherever it's clear and you sit there and kind of wait for it to pass over. Well, I guess when they went out, there was this one storm came up and there was no place to steer to that was clear and they just had to kind of go through it. So in, in our own lives at times, and when I heard... Um, a very talented older man strumming a guitar, singing that song. He's from, born in southeast Missouri somewhere, Joe something or other. When I heard him sing that verse, uh, nothing compares to uh, the tempest in the human heart, which cometh unawares. I knew right then that that was uh, the title for this. And again, the advantage of going through, kind of plodding through the scripture from Consecutively from one book of the Bible or one chapter to the next, is that in so many ways um, this comes into David's life unexpectedly. I mean, he's got—if anybody's got the world by the tail right now—it it was David at the end of chapter ten. Um, all of all of his enemies are subdued all of Israel and, and Judah are gathered together united together under his leadership there are no people that threaten his uh continued leadership as the king of Israel God even shows up you know he's got he's got a beautiful home in Jerusalem God shows up and says yeah it's well, a nice thing you want to build me a house well, let me build a house for you he said and he establishes what we know to even today here we are thousands of years later talking about the the Davidic dynasty. And then this storm comes up and there is no clear spot on the horizon to steer the boat to to kind of wait it out. You've got to live yourself through it. Live your way through it. And we saw last week that the key word in chapter eleven, Second 2 Samuel chapter 11, was the word send. Remember that? Remember that last week? There was... At least eleven places in the eleventh chapter of the book of Second Samuel, where David almost reminds me of that. What's the thing that goes around that little uh, hamster in a squirrel cage? You ever see one of those? They get in a squirrel cage and they get their little paws going, and the squirrel cage is going around, and you're like, "Wow, you are really, you are really up to something, aren't you?" And this, the hamster is like, "Yeah, I'm getting my exercise in," or. Who knows what's going through a hamster's mind? Have you ever thought about that? What is that hamster thinking when it's like, I'm going to get out of here. And all he's doing is staying in the same place, wearing himself out. Second Samuel chapter 11 kind of reminds me of that because David is like a hamster in that squirrel cage and he's sending people, Joab, servants, you go to, and he's doing all of this. Manipulating people, using the services of the state and his authority to cover up his sin. And, and of course, don't forget that the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel uh, ends with that stunning verse, the thing that David did. Look at it, the thing, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, we live in a culture where there's hardly any consciousness of that left. there's hardly anyone that you that you meet that has in in your Monday through Friday life there's hardly anyone you meet that has a sensitive or tender conscience of discretion towards the Lord everything in our culture anymore is not only permissible um, but but a person is encouraged in the name of uh, self-interest and self-determination to do whatever it is that you want to do. Just go ahead and do it. Our our culture, Western culture, is more and more broadening the path and just saying, you know, if it feels good to you, do it. It, 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 If it feels right to you, do it. That... Don't let someone else impose their standards on your life, what you want to do with your life, where you want to go, um, the good times you want to have. So when we read that last verse of the 11th chapter, but the thing, but, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord, it is a counter cultural statement for us. Because we are, we are being schooled in the idea that not only do you accept others, not only do you tolerate what others do, but you approve of what other people do. It's not enough just to tolerate, say, you know, even if you say, you know what I, if you just take uh, the, the issue of homo, uh, practicing homosexuality, even if you, if you voice your uh, concern or you say, I don't agree with that, you are more, more likely than not, you are going to be labeled homophobic. Uh, <laughs> years ago, when, one of the first times that I met Dan Scott at a conference, um, th- this has been a long time ago, in the, in the 80s sometime, when, when the spiritual tenor of, of, the, our, of our culture was somewhat different. And we were at lunch, and we were discussing, uh, discussing, talking about um, the issue of homosexuality. Uh, and I made some kind of offhand remark, like, "Well, you know, it really does—you know—I don't. It really doesn't affect me one way or the other." And of course, he didn't know me all that well then, so he, then he kind of looks at me like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't be having lunch with you." And I said, "Well, you know, I, I'm I'm not homophobic." And he said, "Well, I'm not homophobic either, but it is the reason why the judgment of God is coming upon our nation." Oh. well, now if you if if you as a Christian were to assert that, to say in in a public setting that we believe the practice of homosexuality Invites the judgment of God upon us as a nation. Um, in fact, there are those of you who are saying to yourself right now, "You couldn't say that in a public setting." So, in the matter of uh, twenty-five or or thirty years, we have traveled down the road to a point where our culture believes there is nothing off. There is nothing that you can do. To displease God, to make him stop loving and accepting you. And and we heard this we heard this kind of generic kind of civic deistic uh, uh, language after uh, the massacre in the club in Orlando uh, that God loves us no matter what as a as a nation, as a people, as a as a person. Against that prevailing culture. So this is the reason why we have, there's a storm brewing on the horizon. And <laughs> all you gotta do is turn the evening news on and, and, and you sense that. You don't have to pay theological attention to know that there, there's trouble ahead for us as a culture, as a people, as a nation. Notwithstanding the way the culture is going, the truth of the matter is that there are, there are things which you and I engage in because we're sinners that still displease the Lord. I didn't get one amen, okay. And, and so on your self-righteousness quotient, you score high there. Um, but. There are still things that we do, and I say we, we do that displease the Lord. So David in chapter eleven, he is we saw last week you can't send somebody to fight your own your your battles for you, which is what David is doing. Hey, you've, you've done that before, right? You've been, how many have been caught in a lie? I'm not asking you whether it's big lie, little lie, white lie, whatever. You were caught in a lie, and instead of just kind of fessing up to it, you said, "Well, I can take care of this deftly. No one will know by uh, uh, creating another a construct." How many? How many are familiar with how this works? Did you get your homework done? the mother asks the child and the child says yes <laughs> as though as though you know what like this is going to work what is that <laughs> that means like it so i told a lie but crossing my fingers means that it doesn't count and uh, so, so little, I call him little Andrew. He's not so little anymore. He's five foot eight. This is ver- verified by a tape measure. He's five foot eight. So his mother asks him, do you have your homework done? He says in his mind, he says, I have all the homework that I need to be done turned in tomorrow on Tuesday. But there's still homework that needs to be done on Wednesday. And so he says, Yes. His mother doesn't ask him, you know, Tuesday night, do you have homework to be done? And he figures, I'm not picking on him. I, I don't know if this is true or not. This is just the story I'm making up. You see, you see how that works? And, and the thing about telling the truth is, here's the glorious, wonderful thing about telling the truth is, you don't have to remember what you said. How many have been in that situation where, oh, I... You know, somebody catches you in the lie. Yeah, but you said, and lawyers are great at this, and this is why, you know, if you're ever in, in a court of law and you're the defendant, you may not want to go on the stand because if you're lying, uh, that prosecuting attorney is uh, attorney is schooled in evincing, you know, if, if you have a trail of tears, if you haven't constructed a story, They have a way of asking you the same question in a different way over and over again until you mess up. David is like, I got this covered. So I saw her, I wanted her, I took her, she's pregnant, okay, let's get rid of him. Uh, uh, Before we get rid of him, let's call him home If he sleeps with his wife and then she's pregnant as a result of that, then it covers up what I did. Calls Uriah, how many remember the story? Calls Uriah home. Uriah says, no, no, it's not right for me to enjoy the warmth of my own wife when my fellow brothers are out on the battlefield fighting. Doesn't go down to his house. David, even, the story gets worse, right? David gets him drunk and he still won't go home. And then David, you you. You know, when, when people want to cover their own tracks, we will go to, we will stoop to some, the utter depths. Can you imagine what it would be like to write out the writ of death for a man, give it to that man for him to deliver to, uh, Joab? You know, here, here, put your eye on the front line where the fighting is the worst so that he'll be killed. Uriah dies. Uh, After the mourning period is over, Bathsheba, David takes Bathsheba, Bathsheba becomes David's wife. David thinks the whole thing is fine. But the chapter doesn't end there with David running his little hamster race in his squirrel cage. The, The writer tells us, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. I don't know how much of a god consciousness is left in our culture it really doesn't matter how much of a god consciousness is left in you how much of a god consciousness is left in me because the story doesn't end there how many know that this is this is the one of the great things about the bible sure The last verse of chapter 11, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. But then God begins to act in chapter 12. Uh, Eleven times David has sent, send, 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 send messengers, send to Joab, send Uriah, send the servants. I'm going to cover this up. I can do this. Nobody's going to find out. And then we come to verse 1 of chapter 12. Look at it. And the Lord, there's that word again, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, us in our squirrel cage lives, sending, writing notes, covering up, in no way compares to God's ability to send His Word into our lives. I believe this to be true. I, I believe that you can hear. One word from God and it will change the course of your life for eternity. Christy sometimes asks me, says, she says, you know, it just seems like we we keep doing the same thing, you know. We we have praise and worship, and you know, we have the collect and we have the scripture reading, and then you get up and preach. And, you know, just like we we do the same thing over and over again. The primacy of preaching in the covenant community is important because you in in the preached word you can hear a word from God that will change your life forever. And that's what we see in this text. David is you know exercising the privileges of his esteemed position as king over God's people. And God says, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with what you've done. And so I'm going to send the preacher. Uh, Listen to Robert Alter. He says, the second stage of the story of David and Bathsheba, the phase of accusation and retribution, which is what we have in chapter 12, begins with a virtual pun on a prominent thematic word of the first half of the story in chapter 11. It's like God says, okay, you've sent your messengers. Now I'm going to send mine. Alter goes on to say, David was seen repeatedly sending messengers, arranging for the satisfaction of his lust and the murder of his mistress's husband through the agency of others. By contrast, God here sends his prophet to David, not an act of bureaucratic manipulation, but the use of a human vehicle to convey a divine message of conscience. Now look with me. This immediately reminds me of a passage of, of Scripture, and it should you too, but in case it doesn't, let me help you with that. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, of course. Paul in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans out, outlines in a most, the most detailed way you can find in the Bible how... Salvation by grace through faith works. And then in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he seeks to explain, particularly to the Jewish Christians in the church at Rome, why it is that some Jews were saved, some of God's elect people were saved according to uh, this gospel message, but that by and large the majority of the Jews rejected uh, the message of Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, right? This is John chapter 1. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons and the daughters of God. He came unto his own. He came to his kinsmen according to the flesh, to the Jewish people, but by and large, they rejected Christ and the gospel message. So in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he's trying to explain why was it that the Jews who, who you would have thought, these are, these are the people who would be most receptive to David's son, Jesus Christ, the son of David, would be most receptive to the word, to the sermon that he preached. And yet they weren't. And so in Romans chapter 10, he begins to explore and eliminate some possible reasons why they did not respond. He says, look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? He just has said in verse 13, "All everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he said, well, you can't call on the name of the, what? maybe, maybe, Maybe there are some intervening circumstances that have caused them not to receive the good news of the gospel. And so he begins to explore this in a series of questions. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? He says, well, maybe the reason they don't believe is because they haven't heard. That, that, that would explain it, wouldn't it? If, uh, Christy and I, we seem to be repeating ourselves more as we grow older. She can't hear what I say, I can't hear what she says, and it's 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 so bad it's almost comical because everything she says, I say, what'd you say, and everything that I say, she says, what'd you say? And then when then we get mad, and then we say, I said, how many know that? Sometimes you know, if if your child goes out the door and they don't close the door and you say close the door and they still don't close the door, what do you say? Close the door. This is that's Facebook talk. C L O S E period. Capital T H E period <laughs> Capital D O O R period. Close the door. Well, maybe they didn't close the door because they didn't hear. Maybe Paul is conjecturing, they haven't believed because they haven't heard. And he says then, and how, another question, how are they to hear without someone what? Without someone preaching. So, you know, I, I can't tell you, uh, the vast majority of Sundays I'm here. Now, there's the Jag Club's having a, I'm meeting at a country club, and it's a different place an hour from here, and Christy looks at me on a Sunday, tell the kind of pagans that I deal with in the Jaguar Association of Greater St. Louis. Christy says, oh, go. It's like, we can't have church without you. You think you're that important? No, it's not an exercise in, in egoism. Christy might dispute that. I heard a little grumbling there. It's, it's not about me. How many know that? Dear God, it's not about me. You folks will be glad to get me in the grave. But here, here is what Paul's saying. One of, the, one of the links in the chain is to be saved you have to believe, to believe you have to hear, and to hear you have to have someone preach. How many are following me? So what you do in your lives when when you're not here in church, what you do in your lives Monday through Friday, from my perspective, reflects on my preaching. Oh boy, it got quiet, didn't it? He said, "Well, you know what? That—that's church, and that's Pastor Allen. And we like him. We like Christy better, and that's wonderful. And we like the tradition and all that. But now I'm free to do what I want to do. No, how you live your life, I take it personally." And I don't, I wish I could divorce myself from that and just say out of hell with them. Just forget about them. That, you know, people do what they want to do. So let them go do what they want to do. Uh-uh. I've tried that. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with somebody on your mind? Gosh, I wish I could get away from that. So Paul says, well, they have to believe, maybe they haven't believed because they haven't heard, maybe they haven't heard because they haven't had a preacher. Now look, verse 15, here, don't miss this now, because here we're focused on this S word, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Look at that. Have you seen such a foot? How beautiful. Look, look at that. I have beautiful feet. (laughs) How many know the older you get, the uglier your feet get? How many have experienced that? I mean, you know what? You're like, like, why are my toenails getting so thick? And why are my toes pointed in all different directions? And why is one toe kind of stuck to the other toe? Well, no, Christie's right. The, the, Paul's not talking about the, the you know the symmetry, the beauty of a person's foot. He's talking about when when the messenger came running with good news. They could tell what kind of news the messenger was carrying by the way they ran. Right? You're excited about something, you're gonna run next door and tell the neighbor, well, you're gonna run, you're gonna run differently than if you've got bad news to deliver. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Verse 16, look, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So here it is. They, to to be saved you have to believe to believe you have to hear to hear you have to have a preacher that was sent to you and they're still not believing Paul says they but they've not all obeyed the gospel now he begins to substantiate his assertion for Isaiah says lord who has believed what he has heard from us so faith comes from hearing And hearing through not the word of the preacher, but through the word of Christ. But again, he backs up and he takes another run at it. He says, but I ask, have they not heard? He said no that, that that's not the problem. He said indeed they have for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the, end of the world. I think he's quoting from Psalm 19. Then he says he he backs up again but i ask did all did Israel not understand? Uh, maybe that's the problem. To be saved you have to believe, to believe you have to hear, to hear you have to have a preacher preach that is sent But maybe they heard the word, but they didn't understand the word. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Speaking of the Gentiles. Isaiah is so bold as to say, verse 20, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Here was the privileged position of the covenant community, the Jewish people, and God says, look, All day long, verse 21, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. It's not because I haven't heard. The preacher was sent. Is it because I did not understand or does it go deeper than that? God's... Attitude to our sin is what is demonstrated at the end of chapter 10 of Romans all day long. This is it. You go to bed at night happy in your squirrel cage cover up of sin. The 11th chapter of the book of 2nd Samuel. You go to bed at night. God is up all night displeased with the thing that you did, with the thing that I did. And when we wake up in the morning, what is his position? His position is, all night long, I've been up and I have stretched my hands out to you. All you have to do is turn to me and I will receive you unto myself. Do do we understand then why the, the evangelical insistence on preaching that there must be there must be uh, eternal conscious torment? Because the greatest refusal you could ever make in this life is to refuse God's offer to you all day long. I've stretched my hands out to a disobedient and contrary people. Listen to Arthur Pink. God may suffer his people to indulge the lusts of the flesh, which is what we see in David, and fall into grievous sin, which is what we see in David, but God will not allow them to remain content and happy in such a case. Rather, are they made to prove that the way of transgressors is hard. Uh, Look with me, Uh, this is a stunning verse of scripture just before uh, David's psalm of repentance in Psalm 51. In in Psalm 50 and verse 21, God speaking. He says, these things you have done. You give your mouth free reign for evil, verse 19, and your tongue frames deceit. Verse 20, you sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son, Verse 21, God said, these things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now, it's almost as though this is written to David, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. You may not understand God's word and you may not understand because you've not heard and you may not have heard because the preacher wasn't sent to, to preach the word of Christ. But woe is me, and you too, if the preacher shows up Sunday after Sunday and we hear the word of Christ and yet it never makes any further penetration into our life. In one ear and out the other, dismissed. The benediction is sent, said over me so that I can be dismissed back to the course of my own life to live the way that I choose. And yet the sentence of God is, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Now, preachers don't have the right to aggravate people. I know that you think that I, we do, because of my kind of preaching. I found a guy preaching on, I cut some grass in the morning, Barry and Brandon were up here cutting grass, and so I hadn't finished on Friday, so I finished that, and then I came in, kind of cooled off a little bit, and I got over in that church channel section, and I heard a guy, Seventh Day Adventist guy, and I, I said to Christy, I listened to him for a while, I said, this is the first time I've ever heard anybody on TV preach like me. He was absolutely boring, and, and I loved it. It was like God has sent me uh, to bore you, but those of you who have ears to hear that God is going to give you ears to hear, you're going to get this. Nonetheless, preachers don't have the right just to aggravate people all the time. And and that's... But mark it down. If preaching is properly done, if the word of Christ is properly shared and people hear it, you will get aggravated with me. It it should work that way sometimes. If I'm up here just kind of placating you, kind of confirming in you what you already believe, how many know there's nothing to be unhappy about? In fact, there's everything to be happy about. Oh, I love that, Brother Allen. He just, he preaches a word that just doesn't bother me any time. It's just so inspirational and it's so uplifting and it builds me up all the time. Yeah, but what's the emotional Temperature of your life like? Well, that guy cut me off at the bottom of the driveway at church when I was leaving, and I flipped the bird at him. Oh, well, aren't you making great progress? Most of us won't go searching for things that don't confirm what we already believe. In other words, we don't go searching for those things that contradict what we we believe. We go searching for those and affirming those things that kind of go along that don't rub us the wrong way. There's a great lesson in this in the way that Nathan approaches David. How many know a king? We don't, we don't deal with sovereigns, but sovereigns have the right to say get him out. Take him out. Next line, cut his head off. Right? Well, I mean, why not? If you're going to tell the people in the room to punch punch somebody in the face, well, the next thing is like, take them out, shoot them, hang them. There's a great lesson in how Nathan in his approach to David, because he knows that David could David could continue in the cover up if. If David doesn't receive the word of Christ, we'll, we'll borrow that phrase from Romans chapter. If he doesn't receive the word of Christ in an amenable way, David has the ability to say, "Take this preacher out of here and and kill him." So Nathan comes in, and he tells a story. Now stories. This is why the Bible says about Jesus, "Without a parable, spake he not." Stories have a way we saw this in the study of our parables. Stories have a way of disarming people. Preacher starts with a story. Uh, my dad was great at this, Brother Eddie, too, me not so much. Tell a story, kind of draw people in, get them on your side, and then somewhere at the end of that story, the worm turned, and you knew the worm turned, but you didn't you weren't mad at the preacher. You just had to say, I give up. What he said was right. And so Nathan walks in and he doesn't come in and say, you lying, no good, blankety blank David. He says, the characteristic way of telling a story in the Old and New Testament, there was a man. There was a man. Jesus does the same thing when he begins to tell the story of the prodigal son. There was a man who had two sons. There was a man, rich man, poor man. There was a poor man. All he had was one little ewe lamb. And he uses the language of that poor man's care for this little baby lamb that he bought that is the same language that is used about David's unlawful love for Bathsheba. We don't have the time to look at it this morning. We will hopefully in the weeks to come. David is incensed. The rich guy who's got plenty takes this little ewe lamb from the poor man and kills it to serve his guests. David says, this this fellow is dead. And before he dies, he will have to restore to that poor man fourfold. We'll see in the, in the weeks that come, Lord willing, we'll see that David escapes with his life, but his own family, he, he loses four members of his own family. What you thought you were doing in secret comes the word then. You're the man. What you thought you were doing in secret, I'm going to do it. I'm going to punish you in full display of others. I'll close with this. It's from the 23rd chapter of the book of Jeremiah, and I think it succinctly says what I'm trying to get at this morning. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And To everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Then verse 18, for who among them, meaning these false prophets, for who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention? You see that? We talked about paying theological attention. Who has paid attention to his word? And listen, verse 19, here it is. Tempest that comes unaware. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. Look what he says in verse 21. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. I've said this before, that to be a member of this church that you don't have to like me. Now, I don't know what it would be like to sit in a pew and listen to a guy Sunday after Sunday, somebody that you didn't like. That's probably too much to ask. The truth of the matter is you don't have to like me personally. And in fact, I think there is too much of that in the popular church. Uh, you know what? I, I like this guy over here. And believe me, you we stopped asserting a long time ago that we're the only church in town that, you know, if you want salvation, you have to be a member of this church. We're, we certainly have left that. There, there are plenty of good, great, wonderful, better churches than our, ours in St. Louis. I, I freely confess that. But personalities, I think, have injected themselves too much into this process, this primacy of preaching the word of Christ. So that if I go to a church somewhere where all I hear is something that never deals with the issue, I might be happy, but my happiness might be a delusion. Personally, I want to be disturbed at least every so often. I want something to get under my skin. I I want something to, so that God can say to me, like he said to Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Every so often I need somebody to take a sharp stick and just kind of stick it in a sensitive spot of my spiritual body and just kind of wake me up. I don't want to sleep the sleep of death. I want to hear the word of God And I want to understand the Word of God.
0: For more information on Covenant Community Church, visit us online at www.covcomchu.org. That's covcomchu.org. Or give us a call at 314-869-4367. At Covenant Community Church, it's our prayer that the preceding message has served to glorify Christ and further God's work in your life.